Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I knew that I'd be preaching this morning for about a month and procrastinated for about a month. So uh, I, I went back and forth on how to start this message this morning. I, I went a couple of different directions in my mind and unfortunately landed on starting this message probably the most cheesy way I possibly can. So since it is New Year's Eve, by show of hands, who wants to have a successful 2024? Participation, okay. Uh, do you want to have a successful? Okay. Well, good. Glad we got that out of the way. So now I'm going to move on to the next cheesy part of this intro, which would be to read a couple of verses that are pretty popular for New Year's, and that would be from Isaiah chapter 43. And then after that, I'll pray and we'll get into it. Isaiah 43, 16 through 19 says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. This is what he says, verse 18, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So let's pray. Father God, again, as we uh, gather here this morning, we're thankful for the opportunity to dig into your word. We're thankful for the things you're going to show us this morning. We just ask you to reveal yourself in a deeper and fuller way to each of us this morning as we receive from your word. And we thank you ahead of time for everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. In other words, we're getting ready to put 2023 behind us. And for some of us, 2023 was maybe a bit of a rough year, maybe a kind of a year of survival for some of us, a year of grief or of frustration or confusion. Uh, for some of us, maybe it was a great year, uh, a year of promotion or prosperity. Uh, good or bad, though, 2023, in a matter of hours, is going to be in the books for good. And he says, behold, I will do a new thing. God's doing a new thing in 2024. And notice he doesn't say he wants us to do a new thing. He says, I will do a new thing. I, for years and years, have been a big proponent of goal setting. And for years and years, I have, for the most part, failed at the goals that I set which I know I'm not alone in that. I won't ask for a show of hands there. But that New Year feeling typically wears off around February, if not before. And I'm not, I'm not completely anti-goal setting now, but moving into 2024, this is what I want my, my approach to be. I want God to set my goals for 2024. When I'm the one setting them, I'm relying on my own strength to accomplish them. But when I'm asking God to set my goals, he gives along with them the grace to walk them out. Every command comes with responsibility and capability. Uh, Matt Gordon just sent me a text last night talking about that. Do you care if I share a little bit of that? Uh, <clears throat> he was going on a run, and I may get the details of this wrong because I don't like running, and I just kind of space out when he starts talking about running. But 
He was going on a run last night, which foolish in any way you slice it, but it was cold. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, he was originally planning for it to be like two or three miles, I think, and, and felt prompted. God laid a verse on his heart, a verse that he and I have talked about several times, and laid that verse on his heart and felt the Lord prompting him to go seven instead of the two or three. And what he told me in the, in the text he sent was, I wanted to quit several times during the run, but I knew if God was the one prompting that, that he would give me the ability to do it. So every command comes from God comes with responsibility, kind of that weight, but also the capability, the grace to carry it out. So with the rest of our time this morning, we're going to break down what it looks like, what it takes to uh, have a successful year. And we're going to do that by asking three questions. They're gonna, we're going to start kind of broad and then narrow it down as we go, kind of ask them in a, a backwards manner. So this is not three-point sermon, but I guess it kind of is because we'll be asking three questions. So first question, what's the big picture? What's the big picture? So in order to have uh, a successful year, what does that look like from God's perspective? What is God in the broadest sense requiring of me in 2024? Uh, Let's look to the word for some of his, uh, some of the expectations he's placed on us as believers. First, we're going to go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Alex, I'm looking right here at my tithe check that I forgot to turn in. Is there a, uh, should I just do that afterwards? Okay. I blame you. Just teasing. Luke chapter 17 verse 7 says, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So in essence, these verses are telling us that obedience is expected of us. Our obedience is not something that we can hang our hats on and say, oh, look at me, look what I did. No, because our obedience, the very uh, grace that God gives us and the Holy Spirit within us is what empowers us to obey in the first place. Obedience is the base requirement for serving God. When we accepted, uh, those of us who are believers in here, when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we also confessed him as our Lord, saying, in essence, I'm giving up my right to control my life. And we gave up that control to Jesus. There is no lordship without submission and obedience. And I know that's, that's simplifying things. I don't mean to convey that, that obedience is always easy. It's not. But there's nothing he will ask you to do that he won't grant you the ability to do. He expects obedience. So let's look at another verse. This one's found in the book of Micah probably the most popular verse in Micah. It's chapter 6, verse 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? These are the things that he's not only asked of us, but he is requiring of us. The, The Ten Commandments weren't the Ten Suggestions, Right? He didn't say, oh, if you, could, if you guys could do your best to abide by these, that'd be great. No, they were commandments. 
His commandments come with an expectation of obedience. So again, looking at the big picture, what does a successful year look like? It looks like obedience. And within that umbrella of obedience, another concept I want to dive into today, what's another one of God's goals for me? Multiplication. Multiplication. And uh, for that, we're not going to read this, but if you want to write the reference down, it's Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents. And Jesus is sharing this parable where the master has three servants and gives them talents according to their abilities. He gives five to one, two to another, and one to another, and it goes away for a while. And the one who had five doubles what he had, gets ten. The one who had two doubles what he had to get four. The one who had one was fearful, misjudged his master's character, hid what he had, did not multiply. The master comes back, and the servants, what I want to point out, the servants who heard well done were the ones who had multiplied what they had. We talked a lot about this concept of uh, multiplication in the first small group I did this year. We, we went through a course by John Bevere called Multiply, which I highly encourage. The, the, it's a great book, a great course, available on the Bevere's website for free. Uh, but all throughout the Bible, we see how God desires multiplication in our lives. Uh, going back to his very first command to mankind, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply, right? And we'll go back to Genesis here in a little bit today. But that's the big picture. So what are God's goals for me in 2024? It's obedience. It's multiplication. When we reach the end of 2024, I want to be able to look back and say, I was obedient to what he called me to do. I was faithful to multiply. Not by anything I did, but through Christ who strengthened me. I want to be able to say that. So that brings us to question number two. Question number one, what's the big picture? What are God's goals for me? Obedience, multiplication. Question number two is then, how do I get there? If that's the end goal for this year of success in the Lord, what are some more practical steps to get to that point? And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. First, we're going to look at both obedience and multiplication and kind of break those down a little bit. First, obedience. Obedience looks like stewardship and requires listening. Obedience looks like stewardship and requires listening. If I'm no longer the one making my goals, then I need to start asking some questions of God. God, what are you wanting me to steward in 2024? What have you entrusted to me? And for me, uh, a game, I just plugged uh, Bevere's book in their ministry, and now uh, another series that I listened to a couple of years ago that has really shaped the way I look at uh, the different areas of my life come from uh, a guy I've mentioned maybe in my sermons before. I mentioned him a lot in conversations with people, uh, Preston Morrison, who pastors Pillar Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. He comes from uh, Gateway with Robert Morris, but he preached, he and his staff preached a, a series a couple of years ago called Resilient, which I would highly recommend Uh, to anyone. Uh, They went through 12 weeks, spent two weeks on each of what they called the six pillars of a person's life, spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, professional, and financial. They called those the six pillars. They did two two messages on each of those, just completely changed. I I listened to those, uh, 
it was the fall of, of 21, so I was a few months removed from my time at Rama, and I didn't realize until I listened to some of those messages just how unhealthy I was in some of those areas in my life. And so I've worked the last couple of years to uh, partner with God to get healthy in some of those areas. Again, I just I encourage you to uh, look that up if that's something that would interest you. And, uh, but those six pillars, those are the areas, those are things that God has entrusted to us. He's entrusted to us a spirit, uh, a body. He's entrusted to us emotions and relationships and, and a job and finances. Uh, for some of you, you may be past the point of uh, the professional pillar meaning anything to you, but that means you have more time freed up. So maybe it becomes the time pillar for you. Uh, whatever it looks like for you personally, God's asked you to steward some things this year. So how do we ensure that we are being proper stewards? Step one is to listen, to listen to God's direction. John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Notice that sequence there. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. The following Jesus can't take place until we've heard what he says. So if the goal is ultimately to hear him say, well done, at the end of 2024, that means we have to please him with how we live this year. So how do we please God? Well, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, so we need faith. How do we get faith? Romans 10.17 uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if we want to, in the end, hear well done, we need to first hear what must be done. Receive direction from him. And hearing takes humility. You know, if you think about it, you're not going to listen to someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. But when you humble yourself in certain situations, you're going to be able to learn. I, I think about... Uh, the early years of working for my dad, uh, we do all sorts of different things in that shop. I, answering the question, what do you do for your dad, is probably the most difficult thing I have to do on a regular basis. I have no idea how to describe. There are certain days we do things, I'm like, why, what? I, I don't even get it. But, you know, sometimes we'll be repairing things or working on trucks, things that are far out of my personal skill set. And, and in the early years of, you know, high school and, and college, working for dad and, and in that shop, I would, I kind of had a shame attached to my ignorance. You know, if there was something I didn't know what it was or how to do, I kind of felt a little stupid. And now I have more so than ever fully embraced the, the beauty of the three-word phrase, I don't know. I, I am just, I am more okay with that. If there's something we come across in the shop that we got to do and I don't know, I admit it. It's, it's not an absolving of responsibility, but it's a humble admittance of, you know what, I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. So that's how we need to approach God with humility. Uh, if we don't, we're going to end up looking dumber than if we would have just said, God, I don't know what you know, so teach me. Cause me to learn. In that posture, we're inviting his voice into our lives. But of course, as Word of faith people, we know that hearing is not enough uh, for obedience. James tells us this in James chapter 1. 
verses 22 through 25. You guys want to come up and recite this? James 1, 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. There are scientific studies that show that we remember about 20% of what we hear, which decent, but we remember roughly 90% of what we do. There's a big difference. So while obedience starts with listening, it can't end there. Obedience is active. Faith is active, right? To be good stewards means to make every move with someone else's authority in mind. We have to be responsive to his direction. Back to uh, John 10, 27, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him, hearing and doing. This brings us to another verse, Isaiah chapter 43, back, back to Isaiah 43, this time in verse 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Notice in the first part of that verse, through the waters, through the rivers, through the fire. And it's not if, it's when. If God took you around a fire as opposed to through it, then the concept of not being burned would not be miraculous. It would just be logical at that point, right? Sometimes we have to take an illogical step of faith in order to see God's miraculous deliverance and direction. Sometimes it won't make sense to us, but that's how it needs to start. I think of, you know, that uh, phrase in that verse, through the rivers, causes me to think of Joshua and the Israelites crossing the Jordan. There they are, looking at the other side and not knowing how they're going to get from point A to point B. I mean, a bridge would have been nice, right? But a bridge wouldn't have required faith. In order to see the whole path from one side to the other, they had to take a step of faith. In your life, uh, you may be, you know, we're at the end of a year, getting ready to start a new one, point A, and at the end of 2024, God wants you to be at point Z. Well, you can't jump from A to Z without taking all the other steps in between. Maybe during the fast, he's going to direct you into step B. And then from there, you keep obeying obediently, uh, walking out what he's asking you to do. You may not know everything that God has for you between now and the end of 2024, but what you can know is the next step to take as you listen and respond to him. Amen? So in the overall goal of obedience, we must listen and we must do. Stewardship is a life of response to his leading. So what about the other goal we mentioned? And and these, of course, go hand in hand. Multiplication. Multiplication also requires hearing and doing, but I want to go a bit of a different direction with that one and look at a couple of different biblical examples of multiplication to pick up on a principle that I think will set us up well for the third question we asked this morning. So first example from the Bible, when you think of the life and ministry of Jesus and pair it with the word multiplication, what comes to mind? Feeding of the 5,000. If nobody said it, I was going to... Just not read it. No, I'm kidding. 
feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we're going to read the account in Matthew chapter 14. If you want to turn there, this is not super long, but it's the longest passage we'll read today if you'd like to actually see it in Matthew 14. And a little bit of Bible trivia. This is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. So tuck that away for your Jeopardy audition. Matthew 14. Uh, I'm going to read Matthew's account because it's probably the first one that came up when I Googled it. So Matthew 14, starting in verse 13, says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Disciples always had, like, the right heart, but just Jesus' response always makes them look stupid. But, uh, you know, they're like, Jesus, it's been a long day of ministry. You've done good. They're hungry. We're hungry. We kind of just want to hang out with you. Can you just send them away and then they can go get food? You know, sounds good. Then Jesus' response in verse 16. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So the disciples are like, man, that's the opposite of what we asked you to do. So next time you think you have an idea for God, just remember this passage right here. Verse 17, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The first thing I want to point out in this passage really doesn't have much to do with the message, but it's, it was just too good of a point to pass up. That's the fact that this miracle happened in a deserted place. That's said that uh, multiple times in that passage, that they were in a deserted place. Many times, I feel like we don't see the desert or the wilderness as a potential place of blessing, but it can be. Uh, I heard this several months ago on a podcast I listened to. The, the speaker was talking about uh, a wilderness season, and he said, it really serves as a palate cleanser between the season you're coming out of and the season you're going into. So the example he gave was, uh, the Israelites, who were in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a pretty long wilderness season. He said that was God's way of giving them a palate cleanser between the leeks and onions of Egypt before they partook of the milk and honey of the promised land. I just thought that was a really cool example. I've never uh, partaken in a fancy meal that had, you know, palate cleansing courses. I have, I've read things, but I, I'm just not that class of person, I guess. But you wouldn't want to approach a strawberry cheesecake with the taste of, like, garlic chicken on your tongue, right? You need the, the sorbet or whatever it is they give you to cleanse the palate. At least that's what I assume. And now I'm hungry, so, okay. <laughs> but the deserted place can be a blessing. You know, Isaiah 43, 19, the, the first verse I read this morning, the wilderness is where he said the road would be. The desert is where he said the river would be. So in those places of wilderness, those seasons of wilderness, there can be blessing. You know, sometimes fasting feels like a, a time of uh, wilderness. You know, this upcoming three-week fast that we're about to do as a church, 
Use that, I encourage you, use that as your palate cleanser between 2023 and 2024. So uh, back to the story. Uh, even in this deserted place, Jesus still drew a crowd. And they're hungry, it's dinner time, now what? All they had was five loaves, two fish. And when Jesus took them, this is what I wanted to see from this passage, when Jesus took them, he blessed and broke them to be distributed among the multitudes. And this is my point. Multiplication can't take place unless something is broken. Multiplication can't take place unless something is broken. Jesus started out with five pieces of bread. Had he not broken those pieces of bread before distributing them, he would have fed about 0.1% of the crowd. And that's if there were truly 5,000 people there that most believe that there were more like 15 to 25,000 with women and children added. In order to multiply what was there, he had to break what he had. Let's look at another example of this going back to Genesis, another verse I read or referenced earlier. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then skipping down to uh, uh, the end of chapter 2, starting at verse 21. But we see in those first verses, again, be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication was part of God's original intent for mankind, right? But going to Genesis 2, starting at verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, this is what I want us to see. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So, not to be too graphic here, especially as a single man, but uh, the two becoming one flesh, that's when multiplication takes place, right? So, but what had to happen before the two became one flesh? The man has to leave his father and mother. So, in other words, one relationship had to be broken in order for the other relationship to multiply. So we see breaking prior to multiplication. Change is mandatory to experience multiplication in our lives. I heard a line in a sermon a couple of weeks ago that just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was one of those things that as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh, man, why did I have to hear that? Because it was just one of those tough things to hear. But the line was, comfort never produces growth. Comfort never produces growth. 366 days from now, I want to look back and see marked growth in my life. There's, there's a wall at my parents' house uh, in the doorway, one of the doorways of the kitchen, that has markings on it of my height and the date from my teenage years when I was growing. And it was always such a thrill to look back at that wall and be like, man, I grew, I grew this much over this short time span. So fun to see. I want to see that spiritually in my life. I spoke here uh, back in April, the first Wednesday of April, on spiritual growth spurts, and probably top five message that I've preached this year here. It was 
If anyone's keeping track, this is the fifth time I've preached, so yeah, <laughs> top five. But I want to see that kind of accelerated spiritual development in my life as I reflect back on 2024. But I won't see that growth if I stay in my comfort zone. I know I've been in my comfort zone too long when I can't remember the last time I killed my flesh. And that's a hard thing, but it's necessary. So, okay, how often are you supposed to kill your flesh? According to Jesus, daily. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Obedience is simple, but it's not easy. It requires death. He calls for a daily dying. That's why fasting is such an important part of the rhythm of the life of a Christian. It's a, it's a putting down of your flesh for a pursuit of more of his spirit. And I'm personally using this upcoming week before we start our fast as kind of a, a soft start into the new year. I was talking a couple of weeks ago with my mom. I think we were on a walk. And she and I both just absolutely love the new year, just the new year feel and the, the clean slate feel. We just love it. But what does my family do every January 1st? We sit on the couch and eat lasagna, like, all day. So there's that tension of, like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start these new, you know, I'm going to eat well, I'm going to start these spiritual disciplines. I'm going to eat lasagna is what I'm going to do. So I'm using this week as kind of a buffer. So if, if the fast is going to be a palate cleanser between 2023 and 2024, I'm going to use this week as kind of a palate cleanser between the holiday feasting and the fast. So it's important to leave room for that kind of transition, right? So back to this idea of daily dying, of putting the flesh down. This is the brokenness that has to take place in order to experience multiplication in our lives. Going back to the, the six pillars, spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, professional, financial. What has to be broken in those areas before I can see growth and multiplication? And the simple, all-encompassing answer to that, what has to be broken? My will. My will is what has to be broken in order to experience growth. Uh, a very common passage, but I want to show you this in the life of Jesus. This is from Luke 22, and this is Jesus' very famous prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. True submission only takes place when my will differs from the will of the one I'm submitting to. Here, Jesus was submitting to the will of the Father by laying down his own. Look what else he does shortly before this in the presence of his disciples. Same chapter, Luke 22, but back in verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So another instance of breaking, preceding multiplication. By breaking the bread, Jesus symbolized his own death. And in essence, Jesus' physical body was broken so that his spiritual body, us, the church, could experience multiplication. And in order to even reach that point of physical brokenness, there had to be a breaking of his will. And that's what we see in his prayer in the garden. 
now, as believers living in a post-Jesus' death, post-resurrection world, it's our turn. It's our turn to die. And what is it that we're willing to break? What are we willing to kill to have more of him in 2024? What we have to understand as believers is that this is the expectation that has been placed on us. And I want to show that in a couple of uh, very well-known verses uh, real quick here from the New Testament. First one being Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It means it's expected of us. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The next verse is another common one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Think about it. Stones in a building project have no say whatsoever over uh, how they're used, where they're placed. The, the Old Testament priests uh, weren't able to give their opinion on how they thought things should be done in the tabernacle. There were regulations and guidelines that they had to follow. When we're living for ourselves, we're in very dangerous territory. But when we're living for him, we're proving that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are living sacrifices and living stones. Our will, our desires, our plans are what must be broken in order to properly steward what he's asking us to do. Which takes us to question number three. So question one, what's, what's the big picture? What are God's goals for me? Obedience, multiplication. Question two, how do I get there? Obedience requires listening and doing. Multiplication requires brokenness. So question number three, where do I start? What's the, what's the starting point? These are some great ideas, some great concepts, but practically, how do I start on this journey? Tomorrow's the first day of a new year. It's a chance for a, a clean slate. It's the beginning of God doing a new thing, Isaiah 43. And there's a common thread that can be found in the Bible when God starts something. I'm going to read a couple of examples, see if you can pick up on the common thread here. Hint, it's very, very easy. When God made a covenant with Abraham, the Bible says that a lamp of fire passed between the cut pieces of the animals. When God first appeared to Moses, he did so in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. When God instituted the Passover, fire was involved in the roasting of the lamb. When God led the Israelites through the wilderness, he did so as a pillar of fire by night. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he descended upon the mountain in fire. To the New Testament, when John the Baptist spoke of Jesus, he said he was coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when the Holy Spirit descended on those in the upper room as at the beginning of the church age, he did so in the form of tongues of fire. You see the theme there? When God does something new, often fire is involved. There are so many other references that could be made. The Bible also says in multiple places that God, our God, God himself, is an all-consuming fire. Psalm 26.2 
says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. And that's the New King James, because that's what uh, we have in the system there. But I want to read this out of the Bible in basic English. Psalm 26.2 in the Bible in basic English says, Put me in the scales, O Lord, so that I may be tested. Let the fire make clean my thoughts and my heart. In that same version, another verse in Psalm, Psalm 66.10 says, For you, O God, have put us to the test, testing us by fire like silver. For many of us, as we enter a new year, there's a burning that needs to take place. And I feel like just like a lot of us probably see the wilderness and the desert as a negative, we see fire maybe more so in the negative connotation. We see fire as destructive. We see it as a a potential uh, burn, severity of burns that could take place. But there are benefits to fire too because Google said so. So I looked up a couple of the benefits of fire, uh, specifically like a forest fire, which only you can prevent, by the way. Uh, So some of the benefits of fire are they remove low-growing underbrush, they clean the forest floor of debris, which opens it up for sunlight and therefore nourishes the soil. So it's kind of a a cleaning process that sets up the ground for further development. So spiritually speaking, the fire of God, when it consumes us, cleans us up and sets us up for further development, further growth. God's refining process, his pruning process may not be a pleasant one, but it is necessary, a necessary starting point for something new. A couple of verses we read uh, earlier in the message came from Isaiah 43, and it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that the verse about God doing a new thing in that chapter came quite a bit after the verse that talked about him taking us through the fire. You may be thinking, well, wait, I thought the verse said we would go through the fire and not be burned. Right. We will not be burned, but we will be purified. We will be refined by the fire that he takes us through. There are some things that will burn off of us if we allow him to consume us. The last verse this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, now no chastening, or we could say burning, pruning, seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want my 2024 to be marked by the fruit of righteousness. And if that requires the pain of pruning, then I'm all for it. It may not be pleasant, but it's required. This this idea of burning goes back to the concept of being a living sacrifice. And there's one act, again, we're, we're answering the question, okay, where do I start? There's one act that above all displays our yieldedness to him, and that's the act of surrender. And praise and worship team, you guys can go ahead and make your way on up here if you would, please. Surrender. The best way to go into 2024 is with our hands up. You know, growing up, in worship services in this room as a kid. I didn't, it took me a while to fully understand the different things that happened during our worship services. You know, my mom would often lean over to me and say, raise your hand. You're like, I, I don't, okay, why? I don't, I don't get it. But one of the th- 
things you see in society as a hand raising. You know, you see it in movies or shows, somebody puts a gun out. It's a sign of surrender, raising your hands. That's the best way we can go into 2024 to say, God, I give up. I give up my plans that I had going into this year, my thoughts in favor of yours. You know, we talked about uh, breaking as a prerequisite for multiplication. And there's another definition of brokenness that we don't often think of, but it's stuck with me for years. We used to sing a song called Holiness uh, back in the old days of Yield in Solid Rock. And one of the verses says, brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Brokenness, brokenness is what you want for me. And when we first, when I first heard that song, I thought, God wants me to be broken? Like I thought of, you know, being shattered, you know, being emotionally broken down. But I don't know if you heard this initially from somewhere else, but I remember a worship service where you uh, talked about brokenness in a different way, kind of in a definition uh, that goes along with horses. You, to break a horse literally means to make it useful. It means it's a means of breaking the horse's will so that it will respond to the will of the rider as opposed to doing whatever it wants to do. And there's a big difference between us and horses, and that is God won't break your will for you. Instead, he's given you free will to operate it, so it has to be our choice whether or not we're going to break our will. And we do that by way of surrender. Go ahead and stand up with me, if you would. And we're not... Um, done, we're going to do this portion of the service a little bit differently uh, at the prompting of the Lord. But this is the most important part of what we do here because there may be someone here who has never taken that first step of surrender. Who has never, you know, I talked about it earlier. We, we accept Jesus as Savior, but we also make him Lord of our lives. There may be people in this room today who have never done that. And I would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning if that's you here today. I don't know where you all stand with the Lord. Um, you do. If this is something you're, you're, you're sensing inside you, man, I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. There is no better time than to do that today. Can you imagine? I, I, like I said, I love the clean slate feeling of, of a new year. What a feeling to be able to go into the year knowing that you're saved. And God wants to, it's a free gift that he's offering. God wants you to accept that today. So if there's anyone here uh, who needs to accept that free gift for the first time, I'm going to pray, and then they'll sing a chorus from this song. And again, we won't be done after that. But if that's you today and you need to come up to receive the free gift of salvation, I encourage you to do so. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. God, we're so thankful for the things you have in store for us for this next year. And God, the starting point for all of us to experience success in you is to accept what you have offered. 
in the form of Jesus. God, we thank you. We just celebrated his birth, but that's not the end of it. God, he lived a perfect life as our example and died in our place as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. God, we thank you so much for his sacrifice and for your free gift that you have offered us. God, if there's anyone here that needs to accept that today, I just ask you to give them the boldness necessary to come and make that decision. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.